Welcome to Joppa Space, a podcast about the world of Jewish outdoor food, farming, and environmental education, or as we like to call it, Joffy. Welcome to our new series, After the Plague. Nigel Savage in conversation with new guests each week discussing the state of the world and the global Jewish community in a post-COVID-19 world. You'll hear an inside account of how each of our guests is experiencing the lockdown, as well as timely conversations for a changing world. So grab a cup of tea or head out for a walk and join us as we talk about everything from favorite ice cream flavors to the international response to climate change. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of After the Plague. I'm Nigel Savage, I'm the CEO of Chazan, and I'm here in the uh, Heiliger Upper West Side in Manhattan. And I am so happy today to welcome truly two of the great rabbis of this generation, uh, Rabbi Claudia Kreiman, Raf Claudia from Temple Beth Zion in Brookline, Mass, and uh, Rabbi Dasi Fruchter from the South Philly Stiebel, South Philadelphia, South Philadelphia Stiebel. And I want to say I'm partly excited to do this because you are um, slightly different generations, you grew up in different countries, you have different smichas, and you are two of the most inspiring grounded, hopeful rabbis that I know. And in this slightly complicated moment for the world, I'm kind of excited to have this conversation with you. So firstly, I want to say welcome. And I think um, Rabbanit Desi, if I may, I'm going to start with you because we've had a whole series of guests since this began, but I'm not sure if we've yet had any guests who actually had COVID themselves. And I think perhaps you did. Tell us how, 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 how that was. Thank you so much, Nigel and Ruf Claudia. It's so, so wonderful to be here with you and an honor to make space for this conversation. Um, we closed our Stiebel, our storefront shul that opened just a year ago in Philadelphia in the middle of March before the government was asking shuls to close. And I, I said on that day uh, where, where I wrote the email, we, we were closing the shul, that was the hardest day of my rabbinate and um, wow, <laughs> it was not. Um, but uh, just a, a few days after that, um, I was manifesting symptoms for COVID as were both of my parents. Um, well, they had it um, and they uh, were here, they had moved here as were uh, an additional five or six members of our community. So right away um, and I'm okay now and everyone's okay and it was not a simple road I'll say I'll say that much but it made this point in time this plague that we've been talking about all the more serious and here and present right it's like in in some circles I've noticed it's um it's almost this abstraction still um, like we're, we're hiding from it or it's coming or for us, it just hit us right away. Um, and it forced me to really hone our messaging quickly. Also as a shul, there was no kind of like hedging about what this is and maybe it will be over soon. Nope, we had it, we understood how hard it was. Um, and I guess just arriving here today, I've got a lot of reflections about what it meant for me uh, to both nourish myself and my own illness and the privacy of my family and also lead a community at the same time. Um, that was a lot, but it's really uh, a blessing to be here and I'm grateful to be uh, better as, as are all of the other members of our community. Well, I, I, first of all, first of all, Chazan, Shuli Karkowski, who's, who's uh, my EVP, 
um, had left the Upper West Side to go to New Rochelle and joined Young Israel of New Rochelle. And so as this thing began, she ended up in quarantine and 130 members of her shul had COVID. So we, we at least vicariously saw that really intensely. Um, I think I will just say, since we're there, and I'll come to Ralph Clyde in a minute, so, but since you have reflections, say a little bit about what you felt that you learned from it. Like, like just share with us a little bit. I was thinking, and Ruth Cloudy, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you also about the structures of our institutions. But since we're such a baby shul, like we're so young, I actually did not feel I could really take off when I had COVID, which was wild, right? Um, but what it was, was a wake up call about what it means to both hold a community and make sure to self-nourish um, and be able to, you know, fill from, uh, pour from a filled cup, you know, as it were. Um, it's something I still am thinking about every day. And um, I do know I will not be exiting this period of time without carrying that with me. Oh, thank you. So, Ralph Claudia, you're at TBZ in Brooklyn. Tell us a little bit about what the journey's been like for you, for you, your family, the show. Thank you, Nigel, for having me. And Rabanit, that's it. So nice to meet you. I'm so glad to hear that you're well. And I wish you and everybody refreshed the man. I can't even imagine what it is to have gone through the decisions of closing the shul or making all the decisions that we are all trying to do at this time while experiencing this uh, your own selves. Um, so for us, it was a, a perhaps similar. Um, we decided uh, our last gathering together was actually Purim, which feels so long ago. Um, uh, we, we got to have the Shabbat after Purim, uh, but we canceled. We were ha planning to have a big potluck and we canceled that Shabbat after Purim potluck. And then eventually three days later, we decided that we will um, start to cancel our programming in person and very quickly figure out how to do all this on on Zoom. The things I, I, I didn't know a few months ago that now I know about technology is amazing. We're joking about a new class in rabbinical school that none of us had, which is about uh, managing synagogues through through all these um, synagogues, nonprofits, all of us, right? Through all this technology. Um, but it was very important for us. I was working in partnership with my president, with my board, with my executive director and my whole staff, really figure out what is the right thing to do. We are very blessed in our congregation to have many uh, very known that have been really voices out in the world, uh, in the country around um, public health, uh, telling us uh, what was the right thing to do uh, right now. Already, I, I don't know if you have heard of Dr. Asaf Biton that has been out there. He was one of the first ones to talk about flatten the curve and he's a member of our shul. So we right away were like, what is this flatten the curve? What is this about? And realized right away that we had to take full responsibility and do this even though we were not feeling it yet happening in our community. But I have to say we also had members um, uh, getting sick and realizing that it was, this was real, this was true, but mostly it was about our own, um, our own responsibility uh, beyond ourselves and to make sure that we were an example of what uh, taking responsibility meant. Uh, and it's been exhausting. It's been, uh, what is it now? Three and a half months. One of the most most exhausting three and a half months uh, in, in a very long time in my life. Um, but it was incredible to be working with, with people in my community 
I have great partnership with, with my leadership. And I think that's very important to be able to do that. I think that one of the things, I want to talk about like Black Lives Matter and the larger sort of political context in a little bit, but even in a sense before that, one of the things that I think that Kazan is interested in as an organization, and truthfully I'm interested in personally, is the sort of evolving rhythm between Jewish tradition and the world that we live in. How, like, like the Torah, as it were, doesn't change. It's the same Torah that we take out every week, but we are different and the world's different. And, and, and how do we read the tradition freshly in new circumstances and have those circumstances shed fresh light on the tradition? I'm just really interested to know, again, over the arc of the last three or four months, how, if at all, has it either changed your relationship to Jewish tradition or how you teach or how you engage it? Are there places where it's harder? Are there places where you see wisdom? Have you had to do online funerals or shivers or baby namings like what do you what do you see as as being the intersection right now between between sort of jewish tradition in this moment when everything in in how we relate to each other has been forcibly changed so so i will speak to to you know you just have funeral and and funerals and shiva and just before coming to this call i was um uh planning uh, a, a, another Zoom Shiva for this week. And uh, because the weather has been good, we are hoping to also have um, a couple of Zoom Shiva for the whole community and then a couple of uh, in-person, in a backyard, socially distanced Shiva. Um, and it's all depending on the weather, of course, so it's kind of crazy. Around morning, I want to say, and funerals and, um, and, and all the thing of mornings, I have felt the most how at this time of the pandemic has a challenge or brought brought to um, brought to the front how amazing our tradition is around being there for each other and um, around death uh, we are not being able to do what we do best when we're not in a time like this, which is get into people's home and bring them food and hug them and be with them 24 seven holding their hands. We can't do that. And it's been incredibly challenging to figure out how to still do it without, um, without doing the physical part. Um, we are having our first bar mitzvah in person next Shabbat streamed and it's only 13 people in a room that holds 400. And my message is going to be not all are welcome, which is horrible. I'm going to say to people, you cannot come to shul next week. Only the 13 people, the bar mitzvah family is going to be there. You are welcome to be on the camera. So it is really putting back in, it's the opposite of all the values that for years, for years, I've been trying to preach in our community. I think of Shabbat, we spend, I've spent, years talking about do not use your phone on Shabbat, do not use your computer on Shabbat. And now I'm telling them we're going to stream here. I'm sending you this Torah video and this Torah reading video. So suddenly all these things are coming, are encountering each other. We need to make different choices and decisions and they need to be based on the values that we believe and how we can lift up those values at this time in a different manner because we can do the same ways. Thank you. Yeah. Rabanit. Thank you. 
So Ruf Claudia, your question, you know, what are our values and how are we kind of playing them out in shul at this moment? What's really fascinating for me um, about your question, Nigel, is that since we're a startup, like we're, we just began, we were asking all of these foundational questions already. So the questions of like, what's our purpose here? Who else is on the landscape? Uh, what are we contributing and complementing to instead of competing with? You know, all of these questions, um, they're not even finished being answered. Like we're still in the first year. And, and so what I find really interesting about this moment is that it just pushes that question even harder, you know, um, because Zoom, it's a place. It's just a place, you know, like it's not, it's got like a degraded, you know, level of connection. You know, Nigel, I'm looking at your head. It's a, it's an inch and a half, you know, it's like, or less, it's two centimeters. So it's definitely not the same as being in person. But in many ways, the question is, what is this gathering? Who is it for? And how are we going to use all of the tools that it's giving us to make sure that the impact is what we need it to be, right? Um, so uh, I think I've been avoiding language just personally around like, let's get through this. That's been something I've avoided from the very beginning because um, first of all, we don't know when it's over. And second of all, like we, there's these like tiny little moments of change, but it's never really the same, right? So just right away kind of embracing you know, this is what Jewish tradition is at this time. This is what it's like to connect. Let's see how we can bring our values uh, in these um, mediums. I want to share uh, one other reflection on life cycle events. Um, nobody is asking for this, right? Like, I, I guess it's always hard to walk the line between the positivity that emerges from a crisis and the grief and the mourning that we experience. It's very, very hard, and I think it's important to name. But the amount of brides and grooms and B'nai Mitzvah kids and people who've uh, passed away as families and, and just usually the conversations that I have do not get to the essence for a very long time. In a life cycle planning event, I'll have to be like dancing around questions of photographers and guests and this and that. And all of a sudden I'm sitting with a 12 year old and I'm saying, is it really important to you? Who, is, who do you want to have there with you? Is it, do you, do you want to wait or is it, and she says, no, it's more about owning my Judaism. So it's okay. I can do it just myself on Zoom. Or the bride and groom who decided it's more important um, to have their parents there and no one else than to risk not getting through COVID. And so to do it on Zoom. And so I've just been seeing these vulnerable moments of these Jewish rituals being stripped down to their like bare bones. And I'm really inspired by that. I, I love I love what you just said, Ravani Dasi. I'm thinking about a wedding I did, um, really maybe uh, two or three weeks into into COVID, of these two amazing women who I was working with them to get married this summer, and um, one of them was uh, uh, um, unfortunately she got a. a a bad, uh, she, she got cancer and had to be, uh, start her treatment and with COVID going on and everything, they, they decided that it would be important for them to get married as soon as possible, both so they could navigate the healthcare system as a married couple, especially as two women and, and to just celebrate this moment before, before a, a very scary time in their lives. And a, a wedding that we were planning to spend I don't know, six, eight months planning and figure it out. We put it together in three days. Uh, it was at, in the, in the, at Greek's Park uh, outside the house of the dear friends of 
us, Nigel and I, with your friends in the outside of Mark and Catherine's house. We did it there. And we put the chuppah, Mark and Catherine actually, we used their chuppah and these different TVZ members help. And we had 15 people there. And we printed the ketubah from the, from the internet, like using the text. Like, it was a four days planning of a wedding that usually would have taken too much. And the focus was the real, real true questions of why are we doing this? And, and what does it mean for us to celebrate? And it was so beautiful to be able to go, I love the way you put it, to go to the bare bones of what it is without all that usually it takes so much. And, and my hope is that I'm going to try to use that when after this, we get through this, but I will try not to use that. But when we are in a time that things go to are different we can keep this we can keep this the fact that we have come to a place where um we have to go down to the real stuff much faster than usually do and and it's a great learning for 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 us as 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 rabbis as educators as people leading community to 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 challenge our communities to do that well, so, so speaking of that, so we all thought in one sense, COVID was bad enough, but of course we then saw the George Floyd murder. There was another one, another person who was killed, I think in Atlanta this week. And the, the pattern of violence against African-Americans and minorities in this country is not new, but the eruption the scale of it in the last two or three weeks, I think, is new. And by the way, I say as somebody who's who's English and lives in New York and reads The Guardian every day, that, that the toppling of a, ta a statue of a slave owner in Bristol, in the West Country of England, was almost as significant an act in Britain in the last week as the various things that have been happening in the United States. Each of you is a communal rabbi in semi-isolation, dealing already with all of the issues of like your community, people who need you, probably starting to think also now about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then all of this as well. And I, I, I'm just interested to know for each of you, like how have you processed all of this? How do you feel about it? How does it feel challenging? Are there ways that you feel able to lead or offer guidance and both of you are in are in cities that have their own complex race relations, cities that today are multi-ethnic, but like parts of, of Boston had significant white flight from Jewish neighborhoods in the late 60s and, and Philly had riots. Like thoughts, comments? Yeah. Um... The protests here in Philly uh, have been really inspiring. I think, you know, there was a headline um, at the end, like last week, it says after eight days, like protests in Philadelphia culminate in like a giant peaceful showing, like in the middle of Center City. It's been po very powerful. Um, I guess I'm thinking about this moment on, on a couple different levels. Um, it, the level of processing the spiritual and emotional dimension of what's happening and also the activist, uh, like the, the necessary activism our organizations need to be engaged in right now. Um, and I think about them as connected, but not totally, right? Um, what I saw during the uh, 
the outbreak, um, the, the first set of protests was a lot of unprocessed rage, right? Um, so like folks, uh, I really, I was so happy they were taking to the streets and I was even happier when we would process everything. Like what were the piles of anger um, that were kind of going into yes. marching and, and being brought out into the street? So um, on, the, on the activism and organizational front, you know, now is the time to develop uh, teams. Now is the time to build relationships. And as many have been posting on the net, um, this is a long game. And it's just now we are like, you know, really, really uh, being asked to be held accountable to taking it very seriously. Um, and that's, that's to me this, this moment. I guess I just want to say one more thing and that I hope that uh, we're building capacity both for COVID and for this, this whole um, eruption of uh, attention towards the necessary, um, necessary destruction of racism. And that's um, leading communities that are grounded in love. Um, and this, this sounds like a little bit, what, what does this really mean? But it's so important, right? Um, in this moment of social isolation, in this moment of protest, just thinking about, okay, is this shul a spiritual charging station for your love muscle, right? That's all I'm thinking about right now. Um, and I, I just want to like, because I have to like sneak in a Debar Torah, just like this thing I've been thinking about all the time is Birkat um, Kohanim, when the priest blessed the people, the blessing is, blessed are you God, who's given, you know, the priest capacity to bless children of, of Israel with love, right? Um, with love, be'ahava. And so the Mishnah Bar, the Chafetz Chaim actually says, if a priest blesses the people with hate in their heart, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to try to bring holiness into the world when you're not doing it from a place of love. And so I don't know what, exactly what that means, but Rav Cloudy is going to tell us exactly what it means. Sure. Well, I just, well, I just want to add in before Rav Cloudy goes, by the way, but I want to note that the next thing in the calendar is the three weeks which is partly about Sinat Chinam, mm. and it's partly about addressing Sinat Chinam. Mm. And then six days after Tisha B'Av, we have Tubav. And, mm. I, and I think that, that it fits very deeply with what you've just said. Like the, 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 the tradition in the hot, raging summer months, as it were, comes to teach us about the negative consequences when people are jealous of each other and fight amongst people, cancer and bar cancer, who are like, you know, narcissistically connected to each other, yet somehow jealous enough of each other that they pull the whole temple down. Mm -hmm. And it's like every year we have to, to say, where, where do we see ourselves in that? How does that speak to me? Of Claudia. No, I love, I always, every year, that Tisha B'Av to Tu B'Av connection speaks very, very profoundly to me. I think, um, I, I think our calendar is just incredibly, uh, amazing by putting those together it's only six days apart uh, for me it's personally always the summer those two two bad to two bad a very incredible uh, connection uh, as nigel know many know my, my mother was killed in a terrorist attack in argentina 25 years ago on the 10th of av so tisha bad was always taking for me that uh, beyond the destruction of the temple that really hatred in this world that can really uh, be, become personal. And then I got married on Tuvav and my birthday is around Tuvav. So it is always like this very kind of intense from, from the deepest pain uh, and, and suffering in my own personal life to 
to, to love and, 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 and the beauty it, it, that I find in my own life, in my personal life with my beloved two wonderful, very exhausting children. Uh, but uh, it is just putting those together and that the response to Tisha Vev is to Vev. So we're a little early for that, Bartora, but never too early for it. But, you know, for us, uh, for, for me, what you were saying, Ravani Dasi, um, is, and, and to talk about this time uh, with what is going on around uh, George Floyd and, and our community has been committed and working incredibly hard around racial issues for a long time. We have had this racial equity uh, group uh, doing a, a lot of work. Um, and because of COVID, we had to cancel. We had a training plan for this for this last um, a few months, a whole training for the whole community about racism and we had to postpone it. We decided, no, we'll wait, we'll do it in person. And then this happened and then we realized we can't wait anymore and we are back into it and figure out how to do all this work and we are out in the streets uh, protesting. I've been, I've been out there a lot. I have to say that the most uh, meaningful part of this work for me has been my interfaith work uh, with interfaith colleagues out there with GBIO Greater Boston Interfaith Organization where I'm, I'm, I'm involved, not just protesting out there, but working around political issues and, and, and trying to get uh, our lawmakers to, 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 to make changes and differences. So we, that's a lot of the work with interfaith clergy and my Brooklyn interfaith clergy really out there trying to, to do this work. And now that we're for this in the long run, and this is a wake up call. It's not the first wake up call, but perhaps it is it's the loudest that we're hearing right now and hoping that it will really wake us all up. Uh, and um, and I, it, my, my community is incredibly uh, um, devoted to this work. Uh, we are also very blessed that in staff, we have one of the handful rabbis of color in the country, Rabbi Tiferet Birnbaum. She is my, my partner in this work. She's the director of congregational learning and programming in TVZ. And as a rabbi of color, she, she's helping us to really shape this, this moment and this time in our community. So it is bringing it all together. It, it felt it's like now one more, like I don't know if I can hold one more thing and the answer is yes, we can and we will. We don't have an option. That, that's kind of my answer. It's like, it's not like this is my limit. It's like there is no option. We have to keep doing, keep holding it and keep moving our community with love. Our song theme at our shul is Olam from Rabbi Menachem Creditor. We sing it all the time and it was our theme song, Last High Holidays. What did I know that it will work so well for this year, really putting on the, at the center of the work that it's, it's through love that we will get through this and, and move through what's next in, in the world. I, I, I love what you each said just now and I, I obviously both, as it were, agree with you and I'm inspired by you. But I also, if I can, just want to scratch it a little bit more. Because I think that at one level, we want to say that we believe in love and we want to strengthen ourselves Jewishly. We want to engage to make the country a better place. But I've been thinking, for example, and I don't know the extent to which you followed it, the New York Times had an op-ed, which was a very right-wing op-ed, arguably really outrageous op-ed from a senator. And that led to big ructions at the Times. One of the editors re uh, resigned. I think probably 70 members of the newsroom complained about the Times publishing it. And then yesterday or today, two of the Times columnists said, it's ridiculous that the Times would consider not publishing this. This guy is a senator. We may or may not like him or agree with him, 
But part of what happened in 2016 was a lot of liberals and progressive work, progressives woke up and said, oh, we literally haven't listened to half of this country and they're mad at us for arrogantly not wanting to listen to them. And that argument about the, the Tom Cotton editorial, should one publish it or not, is arguably this question about discourse, about how we relate to people and how we relate to people across difference. And I, I struggle with this and I, I, I'm really interested to know if you have insight or wisdom or how you relate it either to that thing particularly or more generally. I think it is, um, it's a very good question, Nigel, and I think it's a hard one for us, um, you know, especially when our communities are, um, to be fully honest, very homogenic and, and there is not a lot of difference. There are here and there are some differences. But I have to say that, for example, this past week, um, I had conversations with members of my congregation that were having, were challenged by how to support Black Lives Matter. Um, if uh, that means that that uh, there would be an assumption uh, to support in BDS, for example, of any other anti-Semitic or uh, anti-Israel feelings uh, that uh, Black Lives Movement, or it's actually the movement for Black Lives, to be more specific, um, would have. And my response to that was to engage in conversation. And I think that is a part of, of um, of our role as leaders, uh, and this is an example, but we don't do it always very well uh, to engage with conversations when things are challenging and complicated. And, and, and you know, I, a part of us want to say, whatever, you don't get it, and then move on and keep doing our preaching and, and activism or whatever it is, but instead to have conversations and to really listen. So in this case, I spent a lot of time this past week uh, learning about this, trying to understand, I ended up writing my whole uh, Shabbat message this last weekend about that and, and trying to respond from a place of curiosity and understanding. Um, so I'm not answering exactly to your question, but I think that part, part of it is that we, we have to be um, open and curious um, when possible to those who are not necessarily in the same place that we are. Um, and it's the only way that we can actually bring communities together. Yeah, um, I would say a value of the shul that we started just a year ago is holding difference. And you, each person who is coming, um, being enough, right, and bringing what they are to the table, unless, of course, that's violent or inappropriate or whatever it is, you your conversation, your your comment should be welcome. Now, this is really challenging right now. Um, and it was my experience also in a large modern Orthodox pulpit, it's quite politically diverse, right? Um, so really thinking about that as a value, not a liability, but a value um, is where I'm at right now. And that actually probably means that our anti-racism work will look different than perhaps the work of a racial justice organization, right? It's just a different place um, that doesn't absolve us from the work, but it requires us to think creatively about how we can best do it. Um, and I'm proud to be in that corner. And also I'm very, very challenged by it um, because nobody is happy ever. <laughs> um, when, you're, when you're managing difference, I think there's, there's this feeling that like, everybody who's for Brent, who's fiery about something, 
everyone turns down a little bit. Like there's a little bit of tsimtsum of self reflection that has to happen to make room. And so that means sometimes that you're not pushing forward really radically on a whole lot of things. Um, it's a challenge. And um, I don't know, I, I feel like my job, again, as I said before, is to provide spiritual recharging stations. And if there are folks that are like devoting their lives in a certain direction, one way or the other, they've got their view about how to make a better world. I want to give them the tools, the internal spiritual tools um, and the messaging to do that. I, um, um, I just want to say, by the way, and we may not have time for it, but for those of you who are on Zoom, if there is a question that you want to ask, feel free to put it in the chat. Uh, and if I if I'm able to, I will go to that. And if there are people on Facebook, you even though I can't see Facebook right now, somebody will see that and post it to the chat here if there's something you wanted to ask. Um, I, I mean, I would just say on this topic that I I, I feel very challenged by it because I feel that the I, I've been thinking about the place in the Torah where the children of Israel cry out. There is this great Saka, and they've been in slavery. For 398 years seemingly fine and then at a certain point they cry out and ultimately that's a, a leverage moment towards the exodus from Egypt and so on the one hand a crying out is in that sense as it were societally positive and necessary on the one hand and yet on the other hand it's actually true I think I, I've never felt times that it was more difficult for people to listen to views that they disagree with um, and although in general, for me personally, in the world out there, it's people on the right that I find problematical, in my day-to-day -day life, it's the range between moderates, liberals, progressives, and radicals, which is the place of, of trying to hold different views. So I, 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 I think that this issue is really complicated. And I, I think as we move through the remainder of this summer and we go into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, somehow or other, I think... We have to unpack that. I don't think as a society, we can affect change if we can't also hold difference. And although it's easy to say that, I know from experience, it's really hard to do that. Um, I, I think I wanted to ask the two of you, I, I think of you both as being very idealistic people and very energetic people and very hopeful people. And I also know that we project a lot of stuff on our rabbis. Right? I have friends who are rabbis who in their quiet moments are like miserable, depressed, upset, overwhelmed, any one of many things. And I'm interested to know for each of you, like, like Rabbi Dassi, you've been talking about a shul as a spiritual recharging place. But I'm just interested to know for the two of you, what is the relationship between, as it were, genuinely being happy, one version, or hopeful, a second one is sort of like faking it till you make it. Well, I'm a rabbi, I'm not feeling it, but I feel that I should express this. And then thirdly, actually feeling miserable and saying, you know what, I feel miserable and it's okay to share that. How have you each handled this? Interested to know. You want me to start? I can do it. I think I can do it. Um, so first I want to say that during this time, um, having uh, this holy work to being able to be a rabbi and lead my community and doing this meaningful work has been um, incredibly powerful. I feel, uh, I feel the call uh, 
of my rabbinate um, being really kind of at use right now. I think that uh, the more challenging things are, the more I feel that I can actually bring my voice and, and I'm doing something, I'm doing something that can be helpful somehow at times for my congregation, for my, the members of my community. And, and I, um, I feel blessed to have the possibility uh, to do this. Um, I feel blessed, I feel grateful. Um, uh, I remember the first couple of weeks around COVID, there was this hashtag going on, uh, I'm too bored that and people were posting things that they were, they were so bored that they were learning new things to do. And I'm like, I wish I was bored. There's, there, I don't have a moment to be bored between um, the work and, and, and the kids and the families. Like I, I am, I'm, I'm 24 seven and sleeping when I can and not enough. Um, and, and, and some days I am feeling it all. Uh, I'm very transparent. My congregation knows that. If I am sad and desperate, I'll start to cry while I'm leading davening and I will share some of it. Um, and if I'm in a joyful and just, I will be jumping up. I might be jumping up and crying at the same time because I might be feeling both at the same time. So. Um, I, I often bring my whole self, um, you know, there are boundaries, <laughs> but I bring my, almost my whole self to, to my work. And I feel that at this moment, in, in, in any certain moments, we're all feeling them all. Like there are moments there, it's like, it's not even days. There are moments of the days where I'm feeling like we can do this, where I feel hopeful, I feel re-energize i feel i i have the the skills i have i have the tools uh to to lead my congregation during this time to get through this i I'm, i will i ravanita say i want to work on this get through this i want to think about that <laughs> uh, and i have i have that and then there are days that i wake up in the morning and i'm like okay i don't think i can do it and and i have to pull myself up from bed and just do it because I don't have an option. Uh, and I bring all that and I share that with people and people are sharing it. We have been starting every morning at 9 a.m. We have a Boker Talk TVZ, just half an hour where we daven, we meditate, we sing, we chant, uh, we practice gratitude. So we, we take a few moments to really, um, uh, there is someone in the, in the chat that said, Thank God for Booker Tov, okay, he joins us every morning, uh, that we send, take a few moments, everybody to share something we're grateful for. And then uh, we also chant, uh, I take upon myself the mitzvah of loving my neighbor as love myself. And I invite often the community to take themselves to fulfill that double mitzvah. One thing they will do during the day to take care of themselves, to love kamocha, yourself, and one thing they will do during the day to that you'll do to take care of somebody else. Um, and by bringing, and, and I bring my own struggles um, uh, when possible, as possible to the community. So it is up and down and, and it's hard. And I think for parents um, with children, with young children, my, my youngest birthday was on Friday. She's five um, and she's with me all day, every day. She comes with me to the shul every day these days, no daycare. It's hard because we're attending to the needs of our children. We're attending 
to our own needs. Um, we're attending to our spouses. We're attending to, to, uh, to our community. And it's a lot to hold. And thank God, God gave me a lot of energy. And I do have a lot of energy. I have no idea where it comes from, but I have it. So I'm, I'm using it well, as much as I can. Yeah, that resonates with me, a lot of it. Um, and I, I, yeah, up and down, I've wept a lot. Like, let's just be real. Like, if there were people on the screen, I would say, raise your hand if you've wept more than you have. <laughs> um, it's just, it's been a strange and lonely time, um, stressful and uncertain, and that can be really heavy, can be really heavy, like the grayness and the cloudiness of that. I just want to share like one tiny rabbinic specific thing that I've been thinking about. Shabbat is so different for me now. Um, so because I'm, I'm also turning off my devices, um, there is no work for me on Shabbat as a rabbinite, uh, which is really wild and strange because it used to be my busiest day of the week. Um, and one thing I'm sure of is I've got to have a Shabbos when this is over uh, or whatever as we get to the next stage. See, it's me too. <laughs> um, it's just so different to actually have, um, you know, Shabbat Bainafash, right? It's like there's something that does happen when you have a real restorative Shabbat. And I think as a spiritual leader, I need to make sure that's happening even after we go back to Shul on Shabbos. Same here. I just want to say same here because we are doing a Friday night Zoom before Shabbat starts and there's nothing until Havdalah. So it's been amazing to actually have Shabbat. And I'm like, oh my God, what does that mean for, for the future? Yeah. I, I, and I was going to say, as we start to move towards Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, firstly, there was a really interesting essay on Mosaic. And it was, it was looking at what happened when a group of, I think, Maghrabi Orthodox rabbis uh, in Israel originally poskined that you could use Zoom on Pasach, it was for Seder night. And then very quickly, a whole load of other Orthodox rabbis said, no, 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 you can't. And then along the way in the COVID period, parts of the conservative movement for the first time Poskin that you could use Zoom. And this article on Mosaic was taking it apart halachically and was essentially saying the original halachic prohibition on not using electricity on Shabbat isn't very strong. And, and in and of itself, the basis for not using electricity could easily be got around in and of itself halakhically if you wanted to justify being able to use electricity actually you could and the point that the orthodox world said no we're not going to use electricity to some extent wasn't really on the details of the halakha of using electricity it was really saying fundamentally this is just not shamistic and that part of what was happening in that in that disagreement there was one group of people were essentially saying, look, the actual halachic basis for not using a phone or video is not that deep. It's not that hard for us to poskin that it is okay to use it. And on the other side, people are essentially saying, it doesn't matter whether you can find a way around it, you just shouldn't do it. It will, it will break what Shabbat is about. And I feel that bubbling up very intensely it's not that i think that one of these positions is necessarily right though i totally understand that people i know i know many people who would never ever use electronica at all on shabbat under any circumstances and some people who are not bothered by it i didn't used to use my phone on shabbat and only after the covid thing started i started 
as of about week four to like phone old friends in England and Israel. And I simultaneously like loved doing that. And I felt like I was gaining something and losing something. And so I think I feel personally torn by this and I think it's complicated. And as intense as that is around Shabbat for the two of you, it's going to be even even more so when we get to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's some way away, but I think I'm just interested as we start to come come into land, thoughts about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and how do we do it and what are the competing values and all that stuff. Yeah, one thing I want to say about um, electricity on Shabbos and Zoom and that kind of stuff, we won't be using it um, on the holidays or on Shabbat at all, but mental health, we take it very seriously um, in, in this community and in other Orthodox communities. So I think what was interesting about that whole conversation is if someone's struggling with mental health and isolation, it doesn't matter if it's Passover or a regular Shabbos, you pick up the phone and the rabbi will answer you, right? Um, it's, um, or Zoom, whatever it is you need. So that remains, right? So if it's a question about isolation and danger, like mental health and anxiety, that's, that's all still there. But I want to take it one step beyond um, Shabbos stick. And this might be like, I don't know, it feels like a vaguely feminist question. I don't know. But anyway, my question is, who said davening was good the way it is? Right? Like, it, it just like, I just don't, like, my, my current feeling is, why are we rushing to do the electronic version of, you know, the thing we need to work on making better, you know? So like, not that they can't happen simultaneously, but to me, um, I think I, I'm considering for the high holidays, okay, how is this going to be amazing, right? Like when we don't have any of our normal structures, meaning like we, if we do daven in person, which we likely will outdoors for a certain number of people, you know, what does it look like now that it's t- a group of 20 and a group of 20 and a group of 20? And and what does it mean that like we, we can't rely on a big crowd? What kind of intimacy does that foster? And this is like my favorite thing I'm thinking about right now. Let's talk about gatherings of one, right? Like this whole thing, I live alone, right? So what are we doing to empower someone to gather themselves to meet God um, on the high holidays? Like, what do they need? Do they need food? Do they need resources? Do they need someone to check on their safety? Like, what, what is it? Like, what do we need to be able to really own our own high holiday experience if we are immunocompromised, if we don't use Zoom on Shabbat, um, or if we're just like not, we're feeling a little unsafe right now and, and providing all of these options um, for folks, knowing that there won't be one way but pushing, 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 why, right? Like that's the main thing for me is we're having, we're putting together a high holiday laboratory, right? Like why, why do we do any of this? Tashlich, um, slichos, like what, what is the point and how can we bring it with the tools that we have safely? Well, that's just amazing. It's hard, hard to follow. Thank you, Robin. And I, and, and I think, uh, Nigel, the way you uh, frame it uh, was great because you know, you know my congregation. It's the the questions around Shabbat and stuff. It's not an halachic question. It, it is a it's a what is important. So, so we haven't been doing Shabbat Zoom services mostly because I've been trying to push the fact that people should be able to to do so. We send them, uh, you know, to be out to to not use um, 
technology if they, if they can. But then we send them uh, the Torah reading of the learners of our community. They record the Torah reading and people can watch it in their own time. And we have Advar Torah, so people get to make the choices of how they want to use technology for Shabbat. Uh, moving to, you know, I could talk about that much more, but moving to the high holidays, it, it, it's, it's hard. We are really just starting the process of figuring out how we would want. As of now, I'm imagining, and it's based on how things, if things get better, if, uh, if uh, this, uh, if, if, if we keep moving in, in the right um, uh, direction, though, based on what I was reading uh, this morning on the news, it doesn't look like, but um, I could imagine some kind of hybrid um, model for us for the high holidays. But asking a lot of the questions that Robin Dasi just spoke about, what are the important things? So besides of how we think about services, can we have services with less people divided by age or by health? You know, we, we, we're checking all and we're figuring out how to have all the streaming devices possible and what can we do outside, what can we do inside. Uh, the main questions are going to be how we engage the community beyond, um, you know, thinking about could we use the 10 days of Chuba in between as an opportunity for people to engage where people's 101, people who are, you know, bubbles by bubbles can come to the center and have time for themselves, for their own experience of being in the shul if they can be there for the high holidays. So really asking the question, what are the important things? You know, I was joking that even if we do um, services in person, they will need to be much shorter. Uh, and I don't think anyone is going to complain about that. But for me, it's going to mean to ask the question, what is the most important thing? In the past, I was like, no, we can't cut this. We cannot cut this. We cannot cut this. Everything is the most important important thing that period is the favorite of that congregant and that tune i will never do high holidays without that tune and suddenly if we have to cut because we are if we are gathering and again we don't know yet but if we are gathering in person and things need to be shorter to to have uh, less uh, possibility of 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 you know passing the virus if uh, then we need to decide it's like what is really important in the service that's a 20 minutes ceremony important in the service Probably not, right? Do we need every period? So if not, which ones? And, and asking those questions when it comes to liturgy, it's, it's a big question, like Rabbani does it say, like, what is really important right now? And, and we are being pushed to ask those questions. And it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's interesting. I think it's, it, for, for many of us, I've been, I've been doing high holidays now in my show for, I don't know, oh, I lost you, you see me? Claudia, we can we can hear you, but we can only see the bimmer, which was obviously like the god that I don't literally believe in saying no, no, no. no. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to try to find my Zoom. I don't know. I don't know. Here, I'm coming back. I am back. Here it is. That, that was the beam of the show, so you could see it. Um, so um, it, it will make us ask this question. I think the the, the liturgical questions uh, will resonate to the bigger question of what is really important. You know, I'm, I'm, my last question to you both is just going to be, you know, a last piece of uh, advice or, or wisdom. But I, I do want to say that, although I know there are many, many great things about being a rabbi, I definitely don't envy my friends who are rabbis because, you know, the old cliche about 10 Jews and 11 opinions, I just think plays out so strongly around things to do with davening. I was talking to a friend yesterday and I was saying, in relationship to Yom Kippur, I love the davening at Yom Kippur. I feel very, very connected to it. And I feel that if I had to, I could daven the whole of Yom Kippur by myself 
with Kevin I, it would be very different, but I could do it. Whereas Rosh Hashanah, I find impossibly hard. And the notion of me davening Rosh Hashanah without people around me, like I would just keel over after 20 minutes. And the issue isn't, as it were, that I'm right about Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, which is I have like strong, different relationships to the rhythm and liturgy of each of them. The same truth like every person. And the tunes that a person loves are, are different and so on. So I, it, it's going to be complicated. Last thoughts from each of you. A last a gift from the tradition, a piece of tochacha, of, of, of challenging us, a piece of wisdom. Uh, Rav Claudia. Uh. In finding um, community um, to be uh, very inspiring. And uh, the Torah of, of chesed, of caring for each other uh, in ways that are beyond what we knew before. Uh, in my shul, uh, the main work, it's not the Zoom services has been the phone calling to every member, making sure that everyone has what they need, uh, bringing food and groceries and, and medication to, to the elderly. Um, and that, uh, that commitment to making sure that everybody is being taken care um, has been incredibly inspiring in the work of the show and that uh, is the, the inspiration of, you know, or anything that it's about bringing chesed and, and caring for, for, for the most needy um, is at the center of all that. So Zoom services, cute, one, some are better, the tune, that tune didn't work, the sound wasn't so good, it was great, your Torah, fantastic. But the most important work, we're not seeing it on the screens, is the phone calls. I have made phone calls more than ever in my life, like really using a phone, uh, and, um, and visits, and, and making sure that uh, people are okay. Thank you. Rabbi Dasi. Thank you, Claudia. I think my um, wisdom for myself as well is, how is this moment softening us in a way that we're ready to change as we are going through it? Um, and and um, how can we really lean into that softening, this moment of vulnerability to come out different um, and be okay with that, whether it's um, we have got unexpected behaviors or beliefs or attitudes after this is all over, just, you know, this is, this is the moment to grow if we can. Um, and that's my blessing for myself and for the people around me as well. Um, I, I wanna thank you both very, 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 very much indeed. Um, I, I don't always get teary, but there were a couple of teeny moments actually in this conversation that I felt a little bit teary. And I, I, I wanna say that I really, this has been really, really hard. Like it's hard for the world, it's hard for America, it's hard for the Jewish community. It's been very, very hard for Chazan and for Isabella Friedman. It's been hard for me as a CEO. Um, and I really feel inspired by each and both of you. I think that that, that edge around Chesed, both for ourselves and for others, is right. I think it's actually really hard. I think as a community, we all need to support our rabbis 
better than we have been doing. I think it's really hard to be single and it's really hard to be partnered. It's really hard not to have kids and it's really hard to have little kids. Like whoever we are, it's hard right now to be young. It's hard to be a college graduate. It's hard to be an 80 something. Like whoever we are, we've been challenged in new ways and finding ways to be inspired by each other, to lift each other up, to be generous, to hold ourselves to high standards, but also to be kind. I feel that so deeply from, from both of you. And so I wanna thank you very, very much indeed. I wanna thank everybody for joining us today. And I wanna say that I think next week on After the Plague, we have got two or three or four of the teenagers from the leadership board of the new Jewish Youth Climate Movement. And um, I hope that you will join us, our generation, by our generation, I'm gonna say anybody over the age of 22, uh, hasn't done quite a good enough job with the world and a whole group of teenagers are coming up to, 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 to challenge us to do better. And so that's going to be next week. From now till then, Shavuotov, thank you very, very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nigel, for having us. Thank Bye. you. What an honor. Thank you. Please yeah. be well. Bye.